right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the High Performance Lab podcast brought to you by the team at Perform True. I will be your host, Adam Ismail, the brains behind starting this little brand. Uh, We're dedicated to empowering you to start dictating your own expectations so that you can live healthier and perform higher. The time to start taking a proactive approach to your health and performance starts immediately right now. And we're here to help you start doing so through insightful content that matters, plain and simple. Through the High Performance Lab podcast, our team will be interviewing guests ranging from health and performance practitioners, enthusiasts, athletes and coaches to doctors and entrepreneurs. The ultimate goal is to have interesting conversations that make health and performance less intimidating while bringing light to valuable and actionable insights that you can apply to your own health and performance journey and on your own terms. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at PerformTrue. That's at P-E-R-F-O-R-M-T-R-U-E. And for the High Performance Lab, we're on Instagram at High Performance Lab at H-I-G-H-P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-L-A-B. That's Instagram. Our number one goal with the High Performance Lab podcast is really to make health and performance less intimidating. We're going to be having detailed conversations about topics that are science-based and pretty heavy, if you will, for really a lack of better wording. But who says that can't be fun? That's how we feel. So we're going to be A-B testing a few different segments to kind of spice things up a little bit. Uh, The first one that we're going to introduce today is called Stovetop Beats. Uh, Those are going to be beats like music, like hard-hitting hip-hop beats, not the beats that you would eat or cook on the stovetop. So that's really going to cover our team's love for hip-hop. We hope you enjoy them too. We're going to be doing that through our intro, segue, and outro music, primarily through instrumentals. So if you were paying attention to the intro today, or you're just a plain hip-hop head, that was Blowhorn Joint off of DJ Premier's classic Beats That Collected Dust, Volume 1, I believe. Fact check me there. We're also going to be incorporating a segment around some of the most talked about topics in health and performance during the few weeks that precede each episode. We definitely don't have a great name for it yet, but feel free to get creative, drop us a line on social media, And let us know if you have any ideas. We want to make you guys as involved in this show as possible. And I'm really excited to be kicking the High Performance Lab podcast off today with episode one, part one. But I will say up front that it's not going to be perfect. Um, Again, the input and feedback of our listeners, whether it's three or three million of you, is really what's going to be driving our growth and evolution and ultimately the listening experience that you have. Today's show will be slightly different. As I mentioned, I will typically be hosting and driving these conversations, but being that it's the first episode, we're going to um, actually have this one be hosted by one of Perform True's finest, Connor Bollinger. A good friend of mine who I refer to as SIBO in life and probably on this episode, who will be popping in and out of high performance lab episodes when he's not busy controlling the mic on another one of the podcasts under the Perform True umbrella. On Air with Con Air is a triathlon and lifestyle podcast that delivers valuable insights on triathlon training, mental and physical preparation, body prehabilitation and rehab. Lessons learned from competitors inside and outside the sport of triathlon and some of the absolute best product and supplement reviews in the sport of triathlon. Connor brings a ton of charisma to the show, and I'm very excited to see where that will go. So definitely head over to iTunes and subscribe to On Air with Con Air. Again, that's On Air with Con Air, especially if you're an athlete, former athlete, or someone who's looking to get into the sport of triathlon. He gives a ton of really good advice for um, you know beginners all the way up to seasoned triathletes. So uh, outside of Perform True, Connor is a regional account director for a global pharmaceutical company. He is currently based out of Limerick, Ireland. And we did do this um, episode today through Skype. So again, if there's any sound qualities, just bear with us. Um, Originally from the suburbs of New York, Connor and I actually went to high school together and even lived together in New York City for almost three years. So we know each other very well. Uh, We started competing in triathlon together and I do for sure take full credit for getting him hooked on the sport of triathlon, um, but I can't take credit for some of the amazing things that he's gone on to do um, in the sport. 
um, including reaching the amateur or semi-professional ranks of the sport and being named an All-American for his age group. And ladies and gentlemen, that is all while driving a demanding career and chasing his dream of going pro. So um, shout out to Connor. He will definitely be providing some really valuable insights and bringing a unique perspective to the table. So look out for me to grill him in one of the episodes of Perform True in the coming months. Uh, But for today's show, he'll be interviewing me to get some more of the details on my personal professional story, kind of what led to starting Perform True, some of the goals of our brand, and even a rapid fire question segment at the end. But before we dive in, just want to give another quick shout out to everyone who reviewed and provided feedback on the early versions of the show. Eric, Nick, Rob, especially, thanks for the really pointed and useful feedback. Uh, much love, much appreciation. Um, so for today, guys, kick back, relax, and soak up the knowledge that we are about to drop on episode one of the High Performance Lab brought to you by Perform True. Performance Lab podcast brought to you by Perform True. For this episode, we're actually going to turn the tables. I'll be interviewing our founder, Adam Ismail, who will typically be hosting the podcast. But before we get going, uh, I want to give you a little bit of a background on myself and my role at Perform True. I'm a semi professional triathlete originally from upstate New York. Currently, I am living and working for a global pharmaceutical company out of Limerick, Ireland. I actually grew up with Adam and lived with him post-college in New York City, so we know each other fairly well. As my role at Perform True, um, I'm tremendously passionate about health and performance. As I said, I am a semi-professional triathlete. It's part of my everyday life. I'll be contributing to this brand by uh, my podcast On Air with Con Air and other outlets as well. We have a great show lined up for you guys today, sort of a double episode, so it's going to be a bit longer. We're going to get into Adam's background, get to know him a little bit better. We're going to have an overview of Perform True, what led to Adam starting Perform True and other aspects of the brand. We're going to have a rapid-fire question segment. We're going to dive deep into stress management, some ways to manage stress and not let stress manage you. And then we're going to close out with some thoughts. So with that said, I welcome to Adam Ismail to the show. How you doing today, Adam? And do you have anything that you want to say before we get started? Connor, I'm doing pretty good, man. Just want to say, obviously, first of all, thank you for um, hosting this thing. Um, for everyone listening going forward, I will be hosting the uh, High Performance Lab podcast, and Connor will be um, controlling the mic on On Air with Con Air. So definitely check out On Air with Con Air, especially if you are a triathlete. But before we kind of dive into the segment today, I just wanted to say that I'm really excited about this podcast, really excited about On Air with Con Air. Um, and I think that what we're going to try to bring to the table with High Performance Lab is a few things. Uh, number one, we just want to make health and performance fun, right? I don't want to make it intimidating. So we're going to have a couple of different segments on here that incorporate kind of, you know, who we are, Connor and I, um, just a couple of New Yorkers who are um, really passionate about health and performance, but also passionate about things like New York hip hop. So you're going to notice that we're going to have different beats, hard hitting beats and flex. We trust hot 97 coming in here uh, to spice things up for the intros. Um, but it's going to be really insightful, right? We're going to have a lot of detailed conversations about things that are science-based and pretty uh, heavy, if you will, right? Pretty serious topics. So as much as we can, we're going to try to make this um, fun and incorporate, you know, some aspects of things that we're passionate about outside of, you know, nutrition, movement, cognition, uh, growth and development, and those things that we plan to cover on this episode. So uh, that's it from my end. Just again, wanted to, Connor, thank you for this. And, um, you know, we can go ahead and, and get started. Absolutely, Adam. And just to add to that, I think what's going to make this so successful is that we're both really passionate about it, like you said, and it's been a long time coming. I mean, you and I bounce ideas off each other, I think, on a weekly basis for a year on, on how we can collaborate. So I think this is a good medium, and uh, I'm sure you could agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, as Connor mentioned, we obviously we grew up together. Uh, we lived together for two or three of the 
worst years of my life, along with um, another roommate and friend of ours in New York City. Um, so we've we've been talking about things like this for years, and it's um, cool to finally have an opportunity to collaborate um, around something that we're passionate about. So. We can't we can't forget to mention Anthony Puglisi. He's the third member of the Perform True team. And do you want to give a little bit of a background on Anthony, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Connor. So um, Anthony Puglisi is going to be the third member of our team. Uh, he recently just graduated from Life University with his doctor of chiropractic. Um, if anyone out there knows Life University, their approach to chiropractic is uh, pretty unique. And I'm really excited for what Anthony has going on um, in his life personally and professionally. Um, and he is going to bring a lot to the table as far as natural, um, you know, structural integrity, different types of practices that can really, um, you know, improve your structure. And he's going to be able to bring a lot of insights around chiropractic. So looking forward to getting Anthony involved. Um, shout out uh, to Anthony because he is looking to start his own practice here in New York um, by 2018. So big things coming uh, all around, uh, but kind of I think we can we can kind of dive into the episode here today. Uh, actually, one other thing, one other thing. So uh, really, the way that we want to make this interactive with anybody who's listening is through. Um, you know, feedback, right? So if you guys have any topics that you want us to cover, um, to do a show on, if you want to recommend any guests, get a hold of us, Instagram, slide in the DMs, Facebook, slide um, into the DMs, you know, either way, uh, Adam at performtrue.com, uh, high performance methods at gmail.com. Um, send us an email, spam us, send us something weird. Um, you know I know you, but for those of you who don't, a majority of our listeners, uh, why don't you give us more of a background on yourself, your mindset, and your approach to sports growing up, and how that's transitioned into your professional life, and your obsession with finding more effective training methods, and you know that being a whole driving factor behind starting Perform True. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, absolutely, Connor. Um, and, and I'm going to try to not bore you with this because you do already know me um, and try to not bore the listeners. But I'm originally from the suburbs of New York City. I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, and then kind of bounced around a couple different areas of New York and New Jersey uh, before going to high school in a small town called Slate Hill, New York, which is where I met uh, Anthony Puglisi as well as Connor. Um, growing up, sports were you know, a huge passion of mine as well as an outlet for a number of reasons. And I think from early on, I kind of became obsessed with controlling my outcomes in sports and then later in school and in life and was just essentially, you know, as a young kid looking for the best foods to eat, uh, the best ways to train. I can remember looking through magazines and, and begging my mom to buy me like resistance bands. And then later um, in second or third grade, begging her to allow me to drink coffee. And when she finally caved in, this is actually a, a, a funny story, um, especially if you know me a little bit, but I essentially finally was allowed to drink coffee before a football game. And I was all hyped up. I was jacked up. That's exactly what I wanted. But then right before opening kickoff, um, you know, a little second or third grade, not, not to say toddler, but young kid had to run off over to the sideline, um, to hit a number two in a portageon and I actually <laughs> missed I actually missed the opening kickoff so um, I was willing to try anything um, no, you know no kids are drinking coffee in second or third grade but there's a ton of stories like that of me with sports growing up um, and I just kind of developed a really um, crazy work ethic and in the beginning that work ethic really wasn't always there with school um, I was a good student I was National Honor Society but I didn't really have to work for it um, I was pretty high up in my class, but my main focus was always on sports um, and kind of leading up to college. My parents were telling me to apply to places like Cornell, Ohio State, a couple other, I guess, reach schools is what, is what you'd kind of call them. Um, but for me and, and Connor, I know you're familiar with Springfield College. That's where I ended up. And, and I really ended up there for the simple fact that they were one of the only schools that was going to allow a undersized linebacker and decent lacrosse player to play both sports. So um, that's where I ended up, at least at it's, first. 
Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but that's you know that's a hell of an accomplishment because those are two physically demanding sports. Like you have to be dedicated to your craft for both those sports. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, for me, the dedication part, um, you know, was easy. That's the part that came easy. But I think when you hit a certain level, and you know, for me, not being a, a professional athlete caliber, I hit the level of this Division Three football and lacrosse, and it became, I'm never going to be as good as I can be at you know, either one of these, if I keep, you know, grinding through two. And and I was just so competitive that I said I needed to make a choice. And I'm not going to lie. I cried my eyes out like a little girl when I had to go in and tell the coaches, you know, that I, that I was done. And, um, I had had some success. I mean, I was one of the only three or three or five freshmen to travel, um, with the varsity team, um, for all games as a freshman, I started on all special teams and, um, had success, but at the end of the day, it was about making the, the right decision. And I'm glad that I did because it was probably one of the first huge decisions that I made on my own. I mean, sports was always something that I did on, on kind of on my own, um, you know, with the support, if you will, of my parents, but it was kind of, you know, my, my own thing, my own obsession. Um, and I think think that that speaks why you were, you know, the captain of your football and lacrosse team, uh, in high school. And then I know that transcended into college. Uh, do you want to, do you want to go into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, there was a little bit of a transition period. I, um, you know, was kind of influenced by folks around me, mentors. Um, obviously my parents had certain level of input into, you know, just kind of bringing up the idea that I should look to change majors. I was originally exercise science and, um, you know, they mentioned business and it was broader, it was more competitive. Um, it wouldn't be as narrowly focused as far as opportunities, you know, than getting an exercise science degree where I had initially looked to probably go, um, physical therapy or even in the beginning I was considering, you know, rolling a kickball out for a living and being a phys ed teacher. So I went through that transition and long story short, um, I decided to go study finance and economics and accepted an excuse me, athletic scholarship at Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. Um, so I can talk a little bit about Florida Southern College. Um, I mean, overall, it was a tremendous experience for me. Um, again, early on, I was disengaged academically and, and more concerned with playing lacrosse uh, and, you know, partying and, and really just soaking up what Florida had to offer a 20-year-old from the suburbs of New York City who had never been in Florida until he stepped off the plane on his recruiting trip. Um, so I got down there and, you know, it was a really great time in the beginning. Um, had an awesome time playing lacrosse and not having to shovel the field off before practice. And again, started out kind of disengaged academically, uh, but thanks to some really awesome professors, uh, Mike Tracy, Dr. James Farrell, um, they kind of, I guess, saw something in me and helped kind of push me towards A, taking school more seriously, and then B, starting to consider what kind of niche I'd carve out for myself in uh, the real world, if you will. So thank God for those professors. Um, I did get it back on track academically. I was able to pull my GPA up into the threes, something fairly respectable. Um, and yeah, that's kind of kind of the academic piece to it. Um, I know we want to bring up athletics a little bit here. And, and Connor, this is something that you and I have talked about as length, but at length, I should say, but, you know, I've always believed that I owe everything to the lessons that I've learned um, in athletics and in the opportunities really that got afforded to me through athletics. And so. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, athletics in my household were particularly, you know, held to a different standard. You know, I always remember my brothers and I, if we ever got grounded, we were still allowed to go to football practice because it was something that we, it was a commitment and it was something that, that taught us lessons that other things, you know, just couldn't. So, you know, I think sports brings a, a, a huge value. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I say this wholeheartedly that by far the greatest honor I've had um, and the most formative experience thus far um, uh, prior to my career starting um, was captaining the men's lacrosse team for three years. So the experiences that we had there, um, it was a new program. Um, you know, lacrosse isn't that big in Florida at the time. It's it's growing rapidly now, but it's still not like the Northeast or or Canada or or Baltimore. Um, so you know, the unit, the teammates that we had there, um, it was just a phenomenal experience. Um, some of the the things that we went through as as a team, and it was great leadership experience. And um, I definitely credit 
all of the small successes that I've had, um, you know, since leaving school to what I learned, um, you know, as part of the Florida Southern men's lacrosse team. So just want to thank my teammates, my coaches, and give a quick shout out to the Mox. Uh, go Mox. Absolutely, man. Um, now, I understand before, after college, um, you know, you you decided to cycle across the country. Um, and I know that was a huge physical feat. But do you want to talk about what that race meant to you and why you did that race and then your transition into the real world after that race? Yeah. And I, so it, it wasn't exactly Sorry. A, a race. It wasn't um, a race. It was a ride. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it'd be a long ass race. Uh, it was about 73, 72 days, but essentially what it was, it was a program called the 4k for cancer. And I had been presented with this, um, option or opportunity in probably October or November by a friend of mine, Matt Booten, who was familiar with the program. And I was talking about doing an unsupported ride across the country, just, you know, thinking about something I could do kind of my last hurrah before I dove into a career. And when this opportunity came about, I investigated it, I interviewed and their mission aligned perfectly with mine. Um, I had had some family members, um, and still to this day who, um, you know, battling the disease, the pernicious disease that is cancer. Um, Um, And I just wanted to try to give back in in some certain way to some of my family members and community members who had fought against cancer. And um, really the mission of the 4K for Cancer was to raise funds and awareness for young adults facing cancer. And reason being is that the founder of the Ullman Cancer Fund for Young Adults, his name's Doug Ullman, um, who was actually the CEO of Livestrong right after Lance Armstrong was uh, booted, um, he had been diagnosed with cancer two or three times before he was 19 years old. And he was a Division One soccer player. And what he realized was that there was a huge gap as far as providing services to young adults that are facing cancer because old people, middle-aged people, those are people who get cancer. They're suppo- not supposed to get cancer, but um, as shitty as that is of me to say, um, the experiences just weren't well-defined or planned for for a young adult who hasn't even grown into themselves yet. So very unique experience that young adults go through. He wanted to target you know, raising funds and awareness to that experience and making it better. Um, and so essentially what we did was Road uh, from Baltimore to San Diego over the course of the summer 2013 from... like I mentioned, 72 days, um, 25 people, uh, just a crazy experience. We were yeah, sleeping wow. on church floors. We hit all of the major cancer centers and did volunteer work. And collectively, as a unit, we raised just under a million dollars to support the Almond Cancer Fund. So, um, tremendous experience. Wow. Now, um, right after right after that ride, you, you got into your professional life. Uh, did you want to touch on that before we get into Perform True? Yeah, absolutely. I um so I came back. It was um I graduated college in December of 2012 and because I had committed to doing this ride, <clears throat> I knew that you know, there's no way I could start a career. So what I did was, in addition to training and raising money, I was working full-time uh, training for this ride and studying for the CFA exam. Fortunately, or I should say unfortunately, found out that I failed the CFA exam. So the first thing I did when I got back from the ride in August of 2013 was started studying for the CFA exam. CFA exam, excuse me. And thank God I did actually pass it the second time around and by... Um, I'd say December 21st is when I got a first real opportunity to interview for a job. And it could be a whole nother podcast to talk about what that experience looked like for me. (laughs) Coming from a small school that was not an accredited business school at the time, um, it was in the middle of Lakeland, Florida. And my whole entire goal was to come back and work in New York City. That was always a dream of mine. But I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. I knew coming out that it was going to be up against a lot of Ivy Leaguers and, you know, people who had connections, people who, um, you know, their resumes looked much better than mine. But um, I wasn't at all going to allow that to be an excuse for me not to be able to come back and do what I set out to do. And so... I must have applied to close to 500 places uh, between August and and December, um, the majority of which were online applications. And for anybody listening, you know that with an online application, if you have no referral associated to it, it usually goes in a black hole. So I must have applied to a small management consultancy called CAPCO. 
probably in August, as soon as I got home. And because I hadn't heard anything from them um, until December 21st when they called me, I thought my resume was in one of those black holes. Um, I, I didn't do much research on the company, but um, you know, when it when the opportunity popped up, I said, um, "Consulting is that." You know, really what I wanted to do, I was kind of geared more towards something that was research-based as an introvert. Um, but I said, you know what, this is the hand that I'm dealt. Let's go do this thing. Um, and, and actually, the interview is a really funny story. So I'm going to go into that um, a little bit. I think there's some, some unique yeah, lessons that you can that you can learn from it. And Connor, you've probably heard this, this story before. but Yeah, it's a funny um, story. It's a very funny story. I actually went down to their North America headquarters. Again, it's December 21st, so right before Christmas. Um, I'm not sure what to expect. Um, I know the consulting interviews are always interesting. They're they're kind of case-based. But So anyway, I'm sitting in the North America headquarters of Capco. And uh, the interview, I don't know why I remember this, it was 4, 2, or 3 in the afternoon. And uh, my interviewer was late. You know, it's like 12, 13 minutes past the hour. I'm wondering where he is. Uh, the North America headquarters are very modern. They're spacious. They're open. It's all an open desk, open seating format with a lot of glass see-through conference rooms. So I could see everything going on around me and all the other interviewees were already having their conversations. And I'm starting to wonder, all right, like, you know, where the hell is this guy? And I see all the human resources people walking around, you know, coordinating the other interviews, making sure everything's going smoothly. But I'm just sitting there for 15 minutes, you know, with my dick in my hand, looking out the window, um, looking over to Wall Street. Um, Capco's office is right at the end of Wall Street on uh, Water Street. So um, just kind of just watching people walk by, wondering where my interviewer is. And finally, the guy walks in and he shakes my hand, kind of make eye contact. And he's kind of just like looking through me. And right away, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Because he doesn't tell me his name. He just shakes my hand, looks through me, and sits down. And in my head, I'm going, this guy didn't even give me his name. Does he, you know, what's he doing? He shows up late, and then he's not going to give me his name. Um, But I didn't have too much time to kind of process that because as soon as he sits down, literally as soon as his ass hits the chair, he is grilling me on all types of questions um, related to, you know, things that somebody more senior would ask. It's, okay, so why here, why now? Why Capco? Um, you know, what are what are we doing to bring the, the greatest value to our clients? What are the biggest challenges faced by clients? You know, those types of questions that are very um, consulting focused, but also almost cliche that you'd ask, but they are questions that are somewhat open, open-ended and the questions that somebody more senior would ask. Um, looking back, yeah. I didn't really know this at the time. And so um, he's really challenging me on all my answers to the questions and, um, uh, you know, just really grilling me. And we get to one point in the interview where I specifically remember he says, oh, so you so you have no goals. And that was kind of something that he jabbed back at me with after asking me, you know, some I guess what I call a generic question about, um, you know, my, my five-year plan, my goals for the future. And um, I got fired up. I fired back pretty, pretty defensively, I think, um, looking back and was kind of just standing my ground, uh, if you will. And just mentioned, you know, that I have priorities, something along the lines of I got to put food on the table. I'm just trying to get my first opportunity. And, um, you know, needless to say, I thought things were going pretty poorly at the time. And the interview actually ended well. We kind of bonded, um, found common ground over our Middle Eastern cultures and backgrounds. Um, I mentioned that I did want to learn Arabic. And so he says, oh, so you do have goals. And we kind of laughed about that. He shook my hand, still didn't tell me what his name was, and he left. And, of course, I sat back down in the chair waiting for my second interviewer to come in. And it gets weirder. This this guy walks in and he's laughing and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why why is this guy laughing? And and again, he still hasn't told me what his name was. Um, and he just says to me, Do you know who that was? And I said, No, you know, I, I have no idea who that was. Um, and in my head, I'm like, Shit, was I supposed to know who that was? And he goes, Oh, that was so and so, the North American CEO of the company. And it clicked Ooh. in my head and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, that makes sense. So completely everything kind of fell into perspective. And the first thing I'm saying to myself is, wow, you, you don't even, you know, you, did, you think you did research on this company and you don't even know who the North American CEO is. So um, fortunately, what the interviewer said after that was, well, you must have done pretty well because he liked you and he gave you the thumbs up. So uh, the interview with him actually went really well. Um, I ended up getting the offer. And really the reason why I bring this up um, I think it's because 
opportunities, they really come to you. Generally, the opportunities are going to come to you at two different times, right? Um, when you have your head down and you're just working your ass off, right, and doing the right things, um, or when you go out and kind of create your own opportunities. And so that opportunity for me, um, I don't want to say that it was luck. I think it just came out of grinding and working extremely hard. And um, that connection that I made there has proven to be one of the best connections that I ever made. Um, the guy who interviewed me, who was the CEO of North America for Capco, is now the head of IBM's global business services. And every time I see him, um, you know, since from this day, um, and we talk about the interview, he's from over the pond in Scotland. And he says, oh yeah, you made a real hash out of the interview, but I could see the determination in your eyes, right? And if it hadn't been for that determination or that kind of grit, I would have never got that opportunity. And so um, I just want to make that point. I think opportunities come when you have your head down, you're working your ass off and you're doing the right things. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great story. Uh, I love hearing it. And um, I know after Capco, you went on to work for uh, Ernst Young. Did you want to uh, touch on that briefly? Because I know that had a big impact on you and a, and a major role onto you know the next chapter of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I ended up spending about two years at Capco um, before kind of some things changed with our parent company, which was FIS. Capco had been acquired about five years prior um, by FIS. So Cap, Capco essentially served as the consulting arm of FIS. But as they kind of started to sink their teeth into um, their acquisition, which was Capco, some things changed as far as the culture and the different promises that were made to you by Capco. And that's kind of a whole nother story. But I really started to consider other options and I had always had this you know, this bug, this little inkling inside of me that was saying, you know, look to something in the field of health and performance or sports. Um, and what ended up happening was even though I was a little, you know, somewhat unhappy with how things were going at Capco or wasn't completely fulfilled by my career, I was working my ass off, right? That's like something that you never stop doing. And so I believe that the opportunity with EY kind of presented itself because of that. And when it did, um, you know, I said to myself that opportunities don't come around too often, even decent ones, especially not good ones. And for me, I viewed this as a great opportunity. Um, so I ended up taking the offer to go work with EY, spent just under two years there um, advising large global financial institutions, specifically their wealth and asset management business units um, on everything from strategy to, ex strategy to execution. Um, and it really was the defining experience of my life professionally. Um, I worked with some really tremendous people, colleagues, um, and because of how good the experience was and, and how you know, just tremendous the people were. That's what made it so hard to leave EY. Um, but I realized at a certain point I was working tremendously hard to solve really complex problems that a lot of people thought were interesting, but I no longer thought were interesting. And that kind of takes a toll on you, um, you know, mentally, physically. Um, I'm not going to say I fell into a depression. But you move into a certain, you know, period of time where you're just, you know, you're kind of faking it. You feel like a fraud. And so um, yeah, I, I genuinely want to try to, you know, be the best. And you can't be the best in what you're doing if you're not, you know, genuinely connected and engaged. So I knew it was time to consider something else. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about the why for Perform True and what some of those questions I was asking myself were. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of I think that's enough about me. Um, I've probably bored everyone to death but that's that's uh that's my story so uh let's let's get into perform true then um talk to us about what perform true is what's what what led you to starting perform true yeah absolutely and i think that really i i guess it stemmed from stemmed from two key things right number one as i mentioned i was just kind of tired of working extremely hard to solve those problems that I was at one point interested in, but was no longer truly passionate about. And I think number two, which I alluded to before, I'd always had that interest in health and performance. And I think that was what was truly calling me all the years or over the course of all these years. It just kind of, I guess it took the right question or the right opportunity to kind of like present itself to me. And so yep. I talked about early on, um, you know, I was always interested in health and performance and really the questions that were driving me early on were, how do I perform better as an athlete? You know, what supplements, what foods, what workouts could get me stronger or faster and more conditioned for the fourth quarter? 
Um, you know, I, and again, the stories about, you know, different products that I use drinking coffee. I can remember buying, I'm fourth, fifth grade and, and I'm begging my mom to buy me one of those parachutes for resistance when I was running because I wanted to get faster. Uh, oh, yeah. a, you always had some weird, you always, you always had some like weird food or, or something strange, like some dried apricots and like, you know, that stuff was like pretty abstract for like a 15 year old. But, uh, today, I mean, I eat them all the time, but you know, back then it was like an alien or something. I don't know. No, absolutely. I can remember laughing with uh, anybody who knows my, you know, my mother or my family knows we always had really exotic food. And my mom was always focused on making sure that I was exposed to a lot of different types of food. And so I think that definitely um, expanded my palate, if you will, but also exposed me to, you know, diff, just being more open minded about what might be able to help my, my health and performance. And I think that, you know, from that and kind of having success, you know, with sports and that approach starts to reinforce itself, right? Just the working very very hard and obsessing over those outcomes. And in my big, my big thing was there's a lot of things that you can't control in life and especially in, in sports and in school and so on and so forth. So control what you can and, and work really hard at those things that you can control. And because that approach worked for me in sports, I didn't know any other approach. I kind of took that with me into my professional life. And I think that, um, you know, when I took that there, I started to kind of the, the question evolved, right? From how do I perform better as an athlete to how do I perform better as a young professional? But as a young professional, there's kind of different variables and kind of different factors that play into your performance. So for me, it was more about, you know, longevity, uh, your career is a marathon kind of approach, right? So it was how do I learn better? How do I be a savvier young professional? How do I kind of plug in different methods and routines that are going to help me perform better as a corporate athlete instead of a, you know, just lacrosse player or football player or triathlete. Um, and so I wanted to become a more efficient, more savvier professional, but I kind of took that same competitive approach to controlling my outcomes and con to controlling my destiny, um, you know, just in my career. And I think that, you know, as I, as I kind of continue to do that, you know, and, and, and Connor, you know this, I, I, I actually take credit for getting Connor into triathlon and, and I'm just blown away by the success that he's had as a triathlete. Uh, he whooped my ass in our first ever triathlon, but that's a completely separate. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say you, I whooped your ass, but I did beat you by like, what, 15 minutes, I think. I don't know. The fuck out of here. It was about, it was about seven minutes, 15 minutes, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh. But no, no. So I uh, essentially, um, I've always kind of been, Connor alluded to this before, I've kind of always been known as a go-to resource for nutrition and, and training and athletic device devices, athletic advice for family and friends. And um, over the course of my career, as colleagues were watching me, you know, drink bulletproof coffees or, you know, eat weird things, constantly be eating almonds or come into the office with two gym bags because I had to get a swim in in the morning and then go straight to the gym across the street and get another swim in or a lift in. This is back when I was training for a triathlon. Um, just those were a lot of the conversations that I had with, with people at work were um, diet advice, um, you know, workout advice, um, and, and even a lot of conversations around coaching because they knew that I had a background in, in coaching and a background in athletics. So, a lot of colleagues of mine would say, you know, my, my, my daughter's just not engaged with sports. Uh, my son just doesn't want to put in the work, this and that. So we'd have a lot of those types of conversations about everything from diet and nutrition. And really what I realized was, was two things. Number one, I absolutely loved having those conversations and I loved providing advice to people, even when it was, you know, me giving advice that some would say on paper, I wasn't even qualified to give, right? Like I can remember colleagues coming to me saying, I rolled my ankle, my knee hurts, lower back pain. And what did I do? I'd be bringing in books that, you know, helped me get through injuries or telling them to uh, wrap wrap it this way or, or here's some exercises you yeah, can do, I, I right? I do that all the time, man. And it's, you know, people take the advice though, because it, to be honest, it, if it works, it's, if it works for me, there's a chance that it's going to work for you. So, um, you know, that's the advice that I'm going to give. And I'm going to tell the person that I'm not going to say, you know, my words, my words, the Bible, but I'm going to tell them, Hey man, this worked for me. So why don't you try it? Um, I'm sure, you know, you could, you could agree. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I guess what I, what I will say in response to that, 
is is it's somewhat mixed. You have people who are open to it, and I think most people are open to, opening to hear about it and what your suggestions are, and, and maybe even acting curious about it. But there's just a lot of people today, and this is this is um, across the whole spectrum of health, right? Whether it's nutrition, pain management, and kind of that physical therapy aspect of of recovering or prehabbing or rehabbing an injury, um, a lot of people want to be able to have a crutch and rely on a physical therapist or a doctor or the system to fix their pain. They don't want to, they'd rather just focus on their career and, and having a couple beers in the weekend than, you know, taking the time to learn how to uh, efficiently and effectively perform maintenance on themselves and, and potentially recover, you know, even stronger than they would if they saw a professional. And so that's kind of the observation that I had was it was kind of a, a mixed bag. Everybody was willing to hear you out. But I would say that most people didn't actually take it and apply it. Some people did and were blown away by it. Um, you know, I, I gave a book um, about um, sit. Uh, it's called Desk, Deskbound by Kelly Strip, um, and it's all about the negative impacts of sitting and, and a lot of different exercises and things that you can kind of counteract the issues of sitting a lot. And I did help a number of coworkers kind of um, relieve some of their lower back pain there. But I think that through all these conversations, as I mentioned, I realized a I loved having those conversations conversations and trying to help people. Uh, but then B, what I realized was all of those conversations started to kind of expose two different things and they all kind of landed at the same page. I would escalate every single conversation, especially or as the years went on, I became more frustrated with them and I would escalate every single conversation to one around empowerment, right? One around saying, okay, well, you have all these issues, these symptoms, this is what you want to do. And get online, dig through medical research, dig through sport yeah. industry research. If you care that through, much, then go the extra mile. Right. And what I realized essentially was just that there was a huge knowledge gap for most people, um, especially a lot of the people that I was around who a lot of those folks, I would say were high performing people in their own right. Some very high ranking people at these client sites that I was at, uh, big institutions, people making a lot of money, people doing, you know, what, what you'd, you know, appear to be big things on those fronts, but really struggled with a lot of pain management, managing their stress, um, you know, dieting. And so I realized that there was a huge gap and essentially, you know, that evolution of question of questioning that I alluded to er earlier, that third and final phase has really led me to, to start perform I said, you know what, I don't care if there's other people out here, um, you know, doing something similar to what we're doing. I don't think anybody's doing it the same way we're doing it or the same way we're going to do it. And ultimately the goal was to build a trusted brand around delivering content and insights that help people actually do things on their own and dictate their own expectations. So it's that thing. into some of the short and long-term goals of the brand? So I'd say and as far as the, sh the short term goes, um, you know, it's really going to be about building trust. Um, essentially, I'm not afraid to say this. What we are right now is just a glorified blog. And the short-term goals are going to be centered around uh, quality over quantity, right? Whether it's through written content, and then it's going to be through evolving into this next phase, which is around podcasts. I think podcasts are an excellent medium. I think people love to consume them. I mean, I listen to about 10 uh, different podcasts, so I'm always listening to some audio form of content. I think today that what people want is convenience, and they want self-service, and they want you know on-demand access to it. And the advantage that uh, podcasts and audio have over written or video is that with written, you get a lot of details and most people don't like to read because you ha you can't multitask, right, uh, whatsoever. With video, you have the same thing. Videos are going to be longer and they require you to be in front of a desktop, potentially taking notes. I should take that back. They require you to be in front of a device that's going to allow you to efficiently and effectively watch the video and it requires all of your attention, right? Same thing with, excuse me, th same thing with written. And so I think that podcasts are the most convenient and easily digestible form of content. And I think that the advantage that we have with podcasts is that 
you know, it's, it's clear that we're late to the game as far as podcasts go, but people are still consuming them. And so if you look at some of the biggest podcasts out there, whether it's the, the Tim Ferriss show or the Joe Rogan experience, um, just off the top of my head, those are two of the, the biggest ones with a ton of viewership. Um, and there's certain things that we can try to emulate from what those guys are doing to make this good. But the key is we're documenting our journey as we go. And our goal with the podcast isn't going to be to sit here and have me and Connor talk about, you know, New York triathlon. We're going to be bringing in people who are, you know, passionately living health and performance on a daily basis. And, um, you know, these are going to be friends of ours, people who are closer in age to us, but they're also going to be doctors. And as this thing grows, we're going to be bringing on some real people who are entrepreneurs, doctors, health and performance practitioners, physical therapists, chiropractors, athletes who are going to have unique perspective on the topics that we want to talk about. You know, I have it's to, all going to be structured. Uh, sorry, I have to say, we do actually know a lot of people in the health and wellness industry. That was a main factor into us deciding to do this because, you know, we talk to them all the time. Why don't we just consolidate all of our conversations and put them onto a platform, right? That's, that's absolutely right. And um, I think that's ultimately what our goal is here for the long term. Um, and I, did, I didn't set out saying, let's, let's start a business, right? Um, I wanted to, I took a business approach to starting this. I think it looks like a business on the front end. We just don't have any products or services. And I think that building trust and, and, and putting out good content is, is the short and long-term goals, just sprinkling in content evolution and looking for opportunities to create more reach. So we're kind of learning kind of as we're growing. Uh, but the thing is we want to make this a trusted brand. Um, and when we have an opportunity to bring products and services, we're definitely going to do that. But I think that what folks should look out for over the course of the next three to six months, especially, is some really powerful eBooks. I'm really excited about one that I'm going to be authoring with Anthony Puglisi, who's a doctor of chiropractic on um, posture. So it's going to be an overview of posture, why posture is so important, what factors are contributing to the poor posture that many of us have today and why we don't even realize it's impacting our performance. But then more importantly, it's going to be uh, five to 10 keys and tips and exercises that you can use to improve your posture. What would you say the biggest difference between Perform True and other uh, health and performance brands? Um, I know on Instagram, I come across a lot of platforms that are very similar to ours, but uh, where are we going to differ? Yeah, I mean, so this is, I guess, a thought that may be met with <clears throat> resistance because I think there's two ways to look at it. And I think that the one way that I would probably have looked at this a year ago is that it's too crowded of a space. But the way that I think that we differentiate, number one, is that we're not in this right now to turn this into a business. We're not selling you on anything. We just want to build a community and empower people around content and topics that we're tremendously passionate about, which is health and performance, right? So number one, that's the advantage that we have right now. And I'm not going to go into the details on why that's an advantage, but it's a unique perspective to have when you're doing it out of passion and not operating from a business, um, you know, whether you're a public company that's doing it for your bottom line and for investors, or you're just another one of the more established players out there like an on it or, you know, the list goes on. Um, but I think that where we're going to differentiate really is going to be in the four focus areas that we have. So I think that there's a lot of really awesome establishments and, and brands that are out there doing one or maybe two of these things tremendously as far as pushing out content or even products and services around them. But I don't think anybody's really covering all four adequately in a one-stop shop yet. Um, so you'll have people out there that are highly specialized and focused on you know just one thing like 
movement, right? There's a lot of different movement brands that are out there that are really helping people change their lives. And that's one area where we may be met with resistance because one would say that we don't specialize there. And, and, and one would say that you always do better when you specialize, but we're not worried about taking some kind of product to market right now. Um, we're in this purely out of heart and passion. Um, so I think that's the biggest advantage that we have in the fact that we're going to try to cover all four of those bases, um, you know, and do it passionately. somebody if they said that you were out of your uh, your gourd for lack of a better term interesting so here's what I would say I would essentially want to say to them that in today's environment you are you are essentially losing you're essentially starting 40 yards behind the starting point if you don't get started online building something around what you're passionate about, right? Like my goal from the start somewhat selfishly was, I guess, to start building an online presence around something I was passionate about. And I've recently had my eyes open to the fact that if you're not starting something you're passionate about online or at least giving it a shot, then you're losing ground in an era where the costs to start are virtually zero, right? Absolutely. It was, it was a huge driving factor for me starting my podcast. I mean, we, yeah, we talked about this. 100%. Like in this digital age where technology and I think we'll talk about this later, is about the gift and the curse. Um, you know, you're you're literally losing if you're not starting something, right? And 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 to be full full disclosure, right? Candidly, I have put money into this, right? I, I, it's it's not an extensive amount, but I think what helped me from the beginning and going in, and I had never designed a website before. I had never, you know, integrated email accounts with this. I had never set up domains and servers. I had never looked to use um, social media uh, plat- platform synergy building, you know, tools like Buffer. Um, I just said, let me get started. So that's what I would say. I'd say, hey, look, you got something you're passionate about. Um, there's zero cost to start today from a brand or from a business or from an online perspective. And we have that ability to reach millions of people and it is virtually free. So you're foolish to not start something you're passionate about. Um, and we're making no outlandish claims here about where, what we're gonna be or what we wanna be. We're just doing this for, with, you know, with good intentions. excited about uh, with Perform True. Um, you know, I can tell you what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the content. Uh, so far, some really good content's coming out of Perform True, but I know we're going to get into some really abstract uh, pieces of, uh, of literature as well as some really outlandish um, subjects. But I think all of it is going to be really informative and high quality. But what are you most excited about? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Definitely the content. I think the content is, is what we are right now. So the content is going to be king. But what I'm most excited about is is to learn. Um, like I said, I, I started this somewhat selfishly to, to build, you know, a presence around something I was passionate about. But really, you know, if it was just me, it'd just be a personal block. I want to be able to bring this to people. And what I'm passionate about, or sorry, what I'm excited about is the evolution of the content, learning on my own, because that's that's a part of this whole process and starting to get feedback from people who read our stuff. You know, I want feedback. If it sucks, it sucks. If it's incorrect, it's incorrect. Um, but I can be taking a ton of pride in what we put out and I want to start hearing what, you know, people have to think. So if you're listening, drop us a line. Um, if you have a topic you want us to cover, if I said something wrong about the ketogenic diet, um, you know, I want to hear about it. So I'm excited about the content, about learning and really excited right now about what's directly in front of us, right? to SIBO that's going to be on air with Con Air for you, right? I'm really excited to join your podcast and, and continue listening to the triathletes who, um, you know, you've interviewed with and you've essentially gone off and ran with um, what started out as a dream for me, but that didn't really kind of pan out for a number of reasons. So I see you doing something that I used to love to do and, and hopefully I can get back to competing someday. But then this podcast right here and what, we're, what we got going and we have a lot of really awesome guests that are going to be coming onto this podcast in the next six to eight months um, and hopefully we can deliver some value. 
is to give uh, the listeners a little bit more of an in-depth, you know, look at who you are, the man behind uh, Perform True, what's going on inside your brain. So real quick, what's uh, your least favorite subway in New York City? So first you got to, first you got to answer out of of those three. All right. Um, it's the, it's the M train, man. Uh, the M train is the worst line. There's, there's no benefit of taking the M train other than you got to stand in either spilled coffee or piss. <laughs> that, that sounds like the R train. So hashtag shout out R train chronicles. Um, so I, I took the R train every single day from, um, H street NYU to, downtowns the staten island ferry um stop and so i actually started out hating the r train so the end the q the r the yellow line people will call it for the same reasons connor just mentioned the you are always standing at you know seven in the morning on your commute and either piss or or coffee or something or you were you know standing on top of uh, the homeless guy who slept there the night before and now he's on his way back to the barclay center um you know, for whatever reason. Um, but so I actually started to fall in love with the R train for a number of different reasons. But the worst train is when I first moved into to New York City, I lived in Bed-Stuy. Shout out Big E, R-I-P. Um, and I lived right off the Kingston Throop stop. And Bed-Stuy is undergoing essentially like a gentrification now. It's it's People think it's going to turn into like the next Williamsburg. But where I was at was absolutely not the good part of Bed-Stuy. And I took the A the blue line, right? So the A, the C, um, whatever other trains are on that line. And by far, I saw some of the craziest things I've ever seen on the blue line. Um, it, it never worked. There'd always be service issues on it. Some people could say that about the entire MTA, but um, for me, it's the blue line. All right. Uh, now, Seamless. Uh, I say this all the time. Seamless is, uh, you know, one of the most used apps on my phone when I lived in New York. Uh, you use it a lot when we live together. Now, your interaction with the, the delivery guy. I always, I'm very friendly. I'm always waiting for the guy outside my door, waving him down the hallway. Uh, what's your interaction like? <laughs> well, for, first of all, I think that you're lying about the in- interactions that you have with um, the Seamless people because. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely didn't experience that when we lived together. Um, I'm literally like, and this is why my friends out west and down south and people who use Uber Eats or any of the other ones out there, I mean, like, how can you not, as a New Yorker, Seamless is the the top dog. And for me, the reason why I love it is because I open up the app, I'm sitting on the couch, I order my food, whatever that might be, and I have one expectation. I put my tip in on the app, so I'm not tipping you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't even want to look you in the eye. I just want to open up the door, take my food from you, and then sit down and eat it. That's it. That's the transaction. You already got the tip. If you had to, now I know this has to be a if you had to scenario because I know you wouldn't do this willingly. Um, would you run a Tough mutter or a Spartan race? Which one? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. I honestly, here's why. I w- here, here's it's, it's a real tough one because here's- but you get a beer. The catch is you get a beer at the end of each race. Uh, okay, so that's the only thing you have to look forward to with either of those. Here's why I do the Spartan race. Um, only because here's what I've heard about the Tough Mudder. I mean, it, me and you have always joked around about the Tough Mudder being the stupidest thing to well, ever be created. Well, um, well, what about the Spartan Mudder? I mean, we can't forget about that. But I think that that's a gap. That's a gap, dude. I think that's a business opportunity because I don't think there is a Spartan Mudder. Um, but we should probably try to create that because both of those things are like really profitable from a business perspective. But here's what I know about Tough Mudder. I was in the last year of college in my undergrad and I was in a class with a guy who was in the Marines and he was wrapping it up but he was getting married that summer at the end of the summer and he comes into class one day and and he was a friend of mine we were kind of just bullshitting and he's telling me about how his wife did a tough mutter and in my head I'm just like 
why was anybody doing a, a tough mutter? Like I'm just picturing people like rolling around in the mud underneath barbed wire. And <laughs> to me, it's it's kind of stupid. Um, and he's like, he goes, yeah, you're not going to believe this. My wife went down one of the obstacles, and it was one of those muddy slopes that you slide down. And she's sliding down through those things that are hanging down, and they shock you. And he goes, she goes through that. She gets shocked, and then at the end of the slope, something must have happened underneath the muddy water where you know there was a rock or there was some kind of hard formation that she essentially slammed into and broke her leg. And as soon as he told me that, I was just like, yeah, you know what? you sign a waiver at the beginning of those things you know you're you're 100 accountable like you can't and i'm not saying that if i got hurt i'd want to sue i'm just saying that it's not worth me getting hurt in a tough mutter i'm not looking to break my leg in a tough mutter so i'd go with the spartan race even if so wait so are you are you saying that the tough mutter is harder than the spartan race is that what you're saying or you're just risking more it's just stupider is what i think (laughs) it's just it's just more stupid okay all right yeah all right. Now, if you had to grow up in any decade, what decade would you grow up in? And we would have to start. It could be any decade from 1770s to to 2010. Um, interesting. Probably, probably the 80s. Um, I'm right there with you. 80s, just and really, I'll tell you why. Not because of you know hair and rock and roll but because i've been watching um, the strange stranger things recently um and that's been an awesome show and i think it just gives you a cool little sneak peek and sneak peek into how it was kind of like right before computers got big they got mainstream and consumer oriented so i think there's something simple to appreciate about that time period to where it's not going so far back to the like we were starting to get a lot of like household appliances and advancements and i just think life was at a unique like spot in the 80s it'd be a cool time to yeah, grow you're up. right man uh that's i'm right there with you with that decade i wish i uh, grew up in that my brothers grew up in that uh, decade i'm very jealous yeah, I feel like you belong there. That's kind of like your your music and your style. Um, so maybe we can start to think about how to build a time machine. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, I know a guy, but uh, put an ad on uh, Craigslist. No bites, but I'm still fishing. I'm shocked. All right, guys, so that's going to wrap up episode one, part one of the High Performance Lab podcast. Yes, I did say part one. Uh, The episode would have ran really long, and I just wanted to break it up into two parts so we can really touch on stress management in the next episode. Uh, But I just want to take this time to thank you all for joining us and let you know that we have some high expectations for this podcast. But in order to really add value to anyone listening and kind of meet those expectations, it's going to be um, our responsibility to seek out a few things from you guys. So what do we have to seek out from you guys? Number one, it's going to be feedback. So what did we do well? Uh, Where did we really shit the bed? Um, I know that some things like editing and sound quality might not always be 100% crisp, but we are working on it and we intend to incorporate any feedback we hear from you guys. So if you guys are uh, design folks or have any background in editing, and something just sounds awful, let us know. Um, And then the second thing as far as feedback um, and hearing from you guys is input. So even if we do everything right as far as the podcast, the sound and the editing, which I just mentioned, bringing on good guests and effectively distilling a particular topic and making, you know, good recommendations for that topic, it doesn't really matter unless it's something that you guys want to hear about. And I think you'd agree. So with that said, just reach out on social media. It doesn't have to be anything formal, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us at PerformTrue, at P-E-R-F-O-R-M, true. So slide into the inboxes and DMs. Um, Even hang out in the comments section. Um, And you can even feel free to contact me directly especially for the High Performance Lab podcast or anything Perform True, it's adam at performtrue.com. Again, it's adam at performtrue.com. Um, so definitely reach out. We want to incorporate your feedback and make this thing um, as good as possible for anyone who is listening, even if it's just three people right now. Um, and last but certainly, certainly not least, just want to give you an idea of what to expect in the coming episode. So as I mentioned, we just wrapped up episode one 
part one. And for part two, we're going to dive deep into stress management. Obviously, stress management is a very broad topic, but we're going to really cater the discussion around effective management of chronic stress for corporate athletes and for some of our friends over at Optel Group. Uh, we're going to cover an overview of stress management and really hone in on you know, what stress is, the difference between stress and chronic stress, and what that response looks like biologically. What are the two key reasons why it's important today more than ever? Uh, a couple of statistics from a study just released by the American Psychological Association, and then I'm going to share kind of my unique perspective. I wouldn't say it's unique, but my perspective on the evolution of stress that's been influenced by books like Sapiens by Yuval Harari and Power of Posture by Nadia Aguilar. Um, just to paint a clear picture, I think, of how chronic stress is manifesting itself in us today. And for episode two, the real episode two, not episode one, part one, I'll be chatting with a good friend of mine, DJ Lubbs, who I played collegiate lacrosse with at Florida Southern College. DJ today is a sports coordinator and performance coach at the High Performance Institute in DeWitt, Michigan. And he is the defensive coordinator for the Michigan State University men's lacrosse team. So we'll discuss DJ's background, how he's approached his own health and performance, what his journeys looked like, what some of the biggest differences are between athletes and general population, some of the biggest movement inefficiencies with everyday people, and a focus on corrective exercise techniques for everyday people. So um, that's going to do it for today. Thanks again for everyone for joining, and we will talk soon.